Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode 24. I am your host, Dill, and today I welcome guest Kyler Clark to the show. Kyler's official title is Management Assistant to Alice Cooper, but his duties go well beyond that. He's also Alice's personal assistant, social media administrator, photographer, live show extra, and more. With his intimate knowledge working for the legendary rocker over the years of touring, coupled with a degree in music business management from the Berklee College of Music, Kyler shares his unique insights on some of what goes on behind the scenes of a bona fide rock and roll hall of famer. We cover a lot of good stuff, and it all starts right here. So, I was listening to your podcast, and you know, the first thing that jumped out at me was, you know, back in 2016, you said it was the hardest touring year for you personal on a personal level, and that yeah. was, you know, and since you said that, I think uh, if my information is correct, 2017, you are you you were out there for 113 shows and then yeah. 2018 you just finished a spring tour with Alice. You're just yep. about to go on the road again for two, three months with Hollywood vampires. And then you come off of that and you go back on the road with Alice for two or three months in the fall. So first yeah. question out of the gate is how do you do it? <laughs> how do you stay sane? Uh, um, well, uh, you know, one of the things that I do to stay sane is, hang on. Uh, one of the things that I do to stay sane is um, photography. It really, that's kind of what got me um, in a more healthier mindset was really kind of focusing on that instead of focusing on the time away. I could actually give myself something creative to do. Um, it ends up being, you know, even without tour, with tour dates and, and all of his other appearances that he's doing, um, it's, uh, it usually ends up being about like 300 days of travel a year which can be just mind blowing. Um, I, you know, I try to read, I try to, you know, I try to I stay connected at home. I do this thing with, um, uh, there's a thing called ink cards and it's, they send, you think you can send postcards right. at home. Um, so it's an app on my phone and I can take a picture of me somewhere and then I can immediately send that home and it'll be there in like five days and it's a postcard with a note and my kids get it and they kind of stay connected to me and I can kind of feel like I'm connected to them. Oh, that's cool. So it's um, a physical, yeah. physical postcard, a tangible postcard. So yeah. Instead cool. of an email or something like that, I actually get a postcard and it's a picture of me or something and I can explain what it is and they're cheaper than buying postcards in, in various cities and, and mailing them. It costs like two bucks. Um, so that's a great way for me to kind of like, if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of time that I'm away, I can, I can just throw off one of those things and it kind of helps me feel a little bit more grounded again. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a timing. Um, 2016 was, uh, it was a little bit, but it was pretty difficult. I just, it was not in the right mindset. Right. Um, that year it just was, it was just hard. Yeah. And did you subsequently, like I said, going into 2017, you had a pretty brutal, uh, schedule. Did you? Did you come out of that? Was that a learning experience where you came out of that and needed to either change your ways or, you know, yeah. develops? Uh, it was definitely, yeah, like my outlook and, and the way I operated um, mentally on the road was something that I need that needed to change for sure. Um, hang on. Okay. So I, my, I can hear my washing machine in the background. I was just checking to see if it was going. Um, but yeah, so my, my, um, my outlook needed to change. And in 2016, it was pretty, um, 
I was just, I was depressed, you know, I caught, I was missing my kids and, and, you know, the road just creates this weird vacuum mm-hmm. you live in and it makes it to where you, you know, it can, it can make it really hard to have relationships or friendships. It can make it hard to have a hobby, right? you know, because all your time is sucked into this other thing. Um, and in 2016, like I was trying to buy a house and I kept, couldn't, couldn't quite get there. Um, at the end of 2016, I did, I did buy a house, but, um, which has been amazing. That's been a huge, you know, it's been a huge lift. Right. Touring is tough because um, most people who are touring are considered freelancers. And so that can be really hard on um, on a bank whenever you're trying to go and get a loan from somewhere. They, they kind of, even if you have consistent income, they kind of look at you and they go, hmm. Right. There's an airplane flying overhead. No worries. No worries. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was that was always that was kind of a challenge and and that was one of the bummers about like 2016 was me getting like you know kind of rejected although i'm not really I, i'm on salary with alice so it's a different kind of a thing for me but um just working that out financially now i felt i, I was feeling like i was i was working really hard but not really getting anything concrete in return right you know what i mean <laughs> like i i just was sort of seeing like this endless road and not really a lot of payoff personally on on you know not necessarily financially but like you know at some point you want to kind of be able to grow roots and it's difficult to do that whenever you're traveling and stuff sure um but i did accomplish that at the end of kind of towards the end of 2016 and that definitely changed my outlook on on things uh-huh. um so your what would your title be your alice's personal assistant photographer yeah yeah, my my official title or my uh, there's several jobs that I do. So my my official title is uh management assistant to Alice Cooper, which is basically just I'm kind of a, you know, I get emails from his manager Shep or his other manager Toby is our our um he's who's our tour manager for a long time. Basically, I'm sort of the go between and keeping all of the all of the stuff straight. Um and I'm his day-to-day assistant on the road. And then whenever we're home, I'm, you know, facilitate interviews. Um, it's like a very, uh, it's a, it's a hat rack of a job. <laughs> there's many, there's many hats. A lot of spinning uh, plates. And then, yes, a lot of spinning plates. And then the photography thing and social media stuff is something that I started doing, um, years ago, but, um, nobody was doing any social media for him. And, um, and you know his website was sort of in disrepair, and I kind of had a little bit of uh, experience doing that. And then the website crashed, and and they asked me to just throw one together, so I did. And then they just kept it, and then I kept doing the social media stuff. And everything that I do just sort of gets handed to me, like, "Hey, nobody's doing this. Can you hang on? Can you do this for a minute?" Right. That's how I got his the job as his assistant. His assistant had passed away, and I sort of jumped in to help out while they were finding somebody permanent and then that just kind of stuck. And that sort of seems to be the theme with this job. You know, I have to be careful what, what I do because God forbid, if I do something, <laughs> they might make it a job. Right, right. <laughs> but the photography thing is really great. Um, that's, that's been awesome because it's, it's a, something I really like to do and, and then get, um, I get all kinds of great access with him and that transfers over to other bands. It's cool. Sure. Sure. How long have you been doing that? I mean, this photography been a hobby of yours for a long, long time, or something in the last five or ten years. It's it's been something I did when I was in high school. I took some classes and stuff, and uh, used to do like just some film stuff. Um, and I didn't really take it seriously. I liked it, but I didn't take it seriously. 
And then really it started, as soon as I started touring, um, which was in 2006 was my first like real like tour out of a van kind of a thing. Um, once I started traveling a lot, that's when I kind of was like, okay, well I'm going to pick up the camera again and start bringing it around. And I did, I just brought it around. And then, um, when it came to, when I started working for Alice, which I think was in 2007, um, uh, I had it as well. I was doing guitar teching at that point. Okay. And so I w in between being in the show, that's part of the thing. If you're on, uh, on tour with him, if you're a guitar tech or whatever, you're on stage doing something, you're, you're wearing a stupid outfit and you're in, you're in the show. That's just part of the gig. So in between doing that and then doing my guitar tech gig, I would find time to like peek around the corner and, and take pictures and, um, and just kind of document stuff from my perspective, which is kind of what I really, what I'm doing all along is just documenting my, my life and what I'm seeing, uh -huh. you know, and it just happens to be him most of the time. Okay. How did you, um, so 2006, you said you were touring in a van. Were you a musician at the time doing your own thing? Yeah, I was a musician. I, I, I played bass. Uh, um, I went to school in Boston at Berkeley college of music, um, for, uh, music business management and music production engineering. Um, and you would think that that engineering degree would have helped out when I, earlier today when I was trying to figure this stupid <laughs> recording out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, I went there, um, went to L.A., played in bands. I was playing in a band called Callahan, which is like a straight-ahead rock band. And we had some stuff on um, TV. Got, got a couple um, a couple tracks we used on uh, Grey's Anatomy and a few other shows and Weeds. Uh, but that's really good as far as that went. And then I had an injury that kind of took me out, um, of playing for a little bit. And then I never really came back after that. Um, and then I started getting busy. I was, it was, it's after that, it was hard for me to actually hold, uh, an instrument for a long period of time on stage. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, I'd be sitting down at rehearsal. It just wasn't, it just didn't, it just didn't work anymore. Um, and so I started doing the guitar teching thing and I was doing repairs already. And that just kind of, somebody asked me to go on the road and I started doing that. Um, but in 2006, we were touring in the van and stuff. Um, prior to, I think my injury was 2005. So 2006 would have been the year that I sort of transitioned out of being a musician and more into behind the scenes stuff. Okay. So how did, yeah. how did you hook up with Alice? Um, that was a, uh, I, I, as a guitar technician or as a, as a repair guy, I worked at this, um, this club called the cat club. I was a door guy there. And then I had my guitar repair business sort of, I wasn't, I wasn't operating out of there. I had like a house call service, um, where I would go to, you know, people would call me and make an appointment and I would show up and do their repair in, in house. Cause usually they only take about five minutes for like a general setup. Um, so that was pretty popular. And through that, I started to know, a lot of musicians, including some of Alice's band. Um, and I also worked for another company called Schechter Guitars. And um, I was there in the afternoon um, working on this artist, uh, Chuck Wright. He's a bass player, and he played with Alice. So I was working on one of his basses that he had brought in to kind of get tweaked out. Um, and that's one of the things that I did over there. And um, we were just talking, and, and he told me he worked, he played with Alice, and I knew, I knew Calico really well. I knew all the band guys really well. I was like, oh, man, I really always, I've always loved to tour. Or I would, I've always wanted to tour. 
um, with Alice because he's just so theatrical and so much of a production and such a cool thing. I'm a big fan. And uh, we just kind of chit-chatted about it for a minute, and that was it. Um, And then like two weeks later, he calls me and he goes, hey, man, um, this is weird, but my best friend just got the gig as Alice's guitar player. And he doesn't have a tech, and they're going to let him bring somebody. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And that was Jason Hook. Okay. Um, who's now uh, – he was with Alice, I think, for two and a half, maybe a year or something like that, yep. three years. And then he left to do a five-finger death punch, who are um, killing it right now. They're great. Yep. Um, and uh, so I, I started um, touring with Alice through through Chuck Wright. He hooked me up, even though I already knew everybody in the band. And was already friends with everybody, and I already met Alice a bunch of times through Calico and stuff. Um, it took like another person outside of that to kind of get me into that. Right. It took the new guy brought me, <laughs> which is funny. So, how long was yeah. it before it, you know, as you said, it evolved into you taking on more and more responsibility and growing, you know, kind of growing with the company? Yes. Um, I, early on, I was I was always eager to like be in the show and do parts and stuff. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons. And, and, and also, I was kind of more of a technical guy, so I was helping with computer stuff and production office and stuff. Um, and uh, I was kind of a go-to like helper in general. And I think that's one of the reasons why it turned into um, why they turned to me to help out whenever his he needed his, his uh, a new assistant. Um, and uh, I, I was working closely with him on stage during these gags and stuff. Um, and uh, I think it, there was just like a level of trust knowing somebody that's already in the camp that, you know, that has the right demeanor. Right. That's really important, especially for somebody like Alice. He's just such a private person that um, that right demeanor is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably timing wise. I think 2009 was when when that happened. Um, his assistant had passed away. And then I uh, Brian Nelson is his previous assistant. And um, that was in 2009, I think. And then I, or the, uh, let's see, it might have been 2008. I'm embarrassed that I don't know exactly when he did. But um, it was somewhere around 2000, 2009 that I that I picked up and, and started working as his assistant kind of part-time. Mm-hmm. And then in 2010, they hired me to do it full-time. And it became like a regular job and a salary. And then they sent me to Phoenix and I lived there for about five years. Um, working with him like every day, going to his house, and and it was I was pretty pretty heavily involved at that point. Um, and then from there, just being as soon as I got in the job, then I started seeing that got me access to the website and that got me access to social media stuff. I started paying attention to all those things, and I go, "There's a gaping holes in the whole thing where right. it's not not really nobody's really at the wheel, and somebody should be at the wheel." And I'm not really necessarily an expert at a lot of that stuff, but at least a somebody doing it (laughs) you know i mean what's what's interesting to me is you know is there kind of this you know alice cooper incorporated like to see how many if you're if you're on salary how many people would you say are on salary within his organization um so uh i there there isn't hang on a second let me adjust this really quick um so there is there isn't anybody else really that's on a salary with him. I don't really know anybody else in the um, in the business that takes care that is taking care of the way I'm taking care of with Alice. Right. Um, you know, as soon basically as soon as I was about to have a a, a baby, 
that's really they he like jumped at the chance to to look after me and he put me on insurance he put my kids are on insurance with him um i have a steady income with him just nobody else has that i like he could he could take a year off and um i'm really blessed that i i don't have to worry if he does that right um like a lot of our crew right now we have some some crew that transitions over with the hollywood vampires whenever he does that but a good portion and including the band um don't transition over and so those people are not working right so right now we're gearing up for the hollywood vampires and everybody else is off um and i'm lucky that i don't have to deal with that i don't have to think about any of that stuff that's one of the huge benefits to this job and this working for alice in particular right. it's just he takes such good care of me it's stupid <laughs> oh, sounds great um yeah what's the difference between or what's you know Let's get into the difference between Alice Cooper as a solo artist and Alice Cooper as, you know, Hollywood vampires. What's the difference for you? Just like you guys don't bring the whole show to the vampires. No, no. there's not really. The difference is, I mean, his his routine is slightly different. Um, there are there's a meet and greet with both both tours. Um, but with the vampires, it happens before the show. And with Alice as his regular um, in his regular character, he doesn't want to be seen before the show. So he won't see anybody. He won't meet anybody. He won't talk to anybody before the show. He does. He goes to his dressing room and he gets into his mode, which is usually watching Kung Fu and, um, you know, just chilling out, relaxing and, uh, doesn't really, he doesn't really talk much. And then he gets ready 30 minutes before the show. He'll, he'll take his, uh, you know, he'll take off his clothes, get into Alice gear and then, um, put on his makeup and, and he's ready to go. And then with vampires, it's about that. That stuff is the same, but the, he'll, he'll, he's not in Alice mode. He's not. He doesn't. He doesn't take the Alice character with him with the vampires. So he'll talk to the audience, which he doesn't do that with his uh, his regular okay. show. Yeah, uh, he'll address the audience. He's just more human in that moment. So um, it's cool to see him in both in both places because um, for the longest time, I only knew him as. Uh, as just I know him as Alice the coop you know mm-hmm. the guy that I you know that I'm calling in the morning to wake him up and take going to breakfast with him and stuff or going shopping and then I know him as Alice who is the stage character guy right um they're totally different people and he like as soon as he starts getting ready for the show the jokes stop we, we joke around a lot um but uh, the jokes kind of dwindle off and he gets into mode he gets into his character and you know I don't you know we just kind of it's fun to watch him change into that, but he doesn't do that with the vampires. It's interesting. Right. It's interesting that you were saying, you know, you call to wake him up. What is a typical day for you? Like being his personal assistant? Oh man. Um, my day is, it starts at about six in the morning, usually depending on what, um, what we have going on, but usually he plays golf every morning. So I just call to make sure that he's awake. He's always awake because he wakes up, like a vampire at the same time every day, no matter how much sleep he has, he will wake up before I call him. And, and, and he travels with his wife, Cheryl. So I'll, I'll call the room and I know that he's not even going to be in the room. He's going to be out downstairs, like grabbing coffee or something like that. But I'm going to call and Cheryl's going to answer the phone and she's going to want to kill me because I <laughs> the phone rang and she's asleep still. She'll sleep. She's much longer. She's not but, a vampire. No, she's not a vampire. Um, but, uh, so it usually starts at about six. I wake him up, get him to golf or whatever he's got going on that day. Um, and whether we have a show or not, 
there's a schedule of either show related day flow, which is like, um, I have to go to the venue to set up his stuff and, um, I'm processing meet and greet images from the last day, um, catching up on emails, that kind of a thing. Um, and then there's, he takes, he has a rest period. We have interviews right before that. Um, and then I wake him up or I call the room and he, sometimes he takes a nap or whatever, but, and that's one of the reasons why he's able to survive. I think is because he does take a nap every day almost. Um, but, uh, I usually wake him up at a certain time in the afternoon. We go to the show and we have, that's all like scheduled out and everything. Um, and then on a non-show day, it's the same kind of a thing. Only I'm just keeping him on schedule. Like whether he's got any, uh, he wants to go to a movie or we have to do his radio show. There's so many different things that we're sure. doing. There's still interviews on days off. Um, sometimes there's travel. Like it's, sometimes we're on the bus for a little while. It's just kind of every day is different, but it starts at six in the morning and can go on a show night. I won't get to bed until two. Right. And then I have to wake up. At six. <laughs> so there's no time for you to nap. Is there? There's no nap for me. I don't get a nap. It's a pretty, it's a pretty long day. Um, and days off, he usually kind of does, he doesn't beat me up very much. He doesn't really mm-hmm. ask me to do anything on the day off. Um, if we don't have a show day. Um, so it's basically, I, I'm not really at his beck and call. It's not really like he's a prima donna in that way. So, right. um, and I think that's good because, I like to let him have his time too away from me. Cause I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still a guy who's telling him what to do. <laughs> so I think that probably gets old and, and you know, he's with his wife and stuff. So Cheryl's on tour and they want to have alone time. They want to have personal time. So sure. I like to make sure that they have that too. So do you work away from me? Do you work closely with the, you know, if he has a publicist or PR, I mean, when you talk about scheduling interviews and stuff, are you, yes. are you filtering any of that or is that just fed to you as, as, some of it is filtered. Some of it I'll say, nah, we, we don't really want to do this. But in general, um, he has uh, his tour manager um, or uh, really is, he was operating as a tour manager. But he's also like a co-manager with Shep, um, has a PR background, um, Toby Mamis. And um, he has like a he's like the master of all the interviews, basically. So if you're doing an interview with Alice, you have, it's going through Toby and he's organizing the schedule of when it's all happening. And he, we, and we talk about schedule and when, when timing is going to work for Alice. And, um, and he might say, Hey, but let's do interviews at three o'clock on this day. Um, and I might go, he doesn't necessarily know that maybe Alice has got something else going on sure. or maybe, maybe he's feeling a little bit tired in the afternoon and, and he wants to do the interviews in the mornings before he goes to golf or whatever. So, um, Scheduling that sort of thing, that's my role is kind of making sure that I'm policing Alice's time and making sure that I balance. Like sometimes, you know, we'll, 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 we'll be doing too many interviews mm-hmm. and he's getting burned out. And I have to say, we need to slow down the flow of interviews so that he doesn't want to like jump out a window right. <laughs> from answering the same question over and over and over again. Right. Um, you also mentioned, you know, he's obviously well known. Anybody who knows Alice, he's well known for golf now. Is he pretty yeah. much set up for anywhere he wants to golf in the United States. Yeah. The only place we've ever had a hard time playing golf at is, um, Augusta. Okay. Augusta national. It's, it's just hard to get in there. You have to, you have to be invited by a, um, uh, by a member and each member only gets a certain number of guests per year. Um, and it seems like every time we're there, we don't really have a lot of time to, um, 
to there's a small window so finding somebody who's got a, a slot that's available that's willing to burn it on <laughs> on a stranger even though even though it's alice like people are really guarded about that sort of thing um but he did just go down there he went to the masters and um and i believe he i think he got to play although i mean i don't actually know if he did he went there but <laughs> but uh, we just played in augusta a couple like a year ago or two years ago and um, we tried to get out there, and they wouldn't. Like we couldn't get out there. But everywhere else in general, Callaway is uh, is the golf company that he's sponsored by. Mm-hmm. He's been on staff with them for a long time. Um, so we coordinate with Callaway, um, and a, a gentleman named Jamie. Jamie has been with, um, kind of. He worked as Alice's assistant for a minute. Um, again, like another person that was just kind of helping out in that in that dead zone of like. That's a terrible way to put that but in the in the in the vacuum that was left by uh, by his the passing of his assistant right he, he was one of the guys that helped out and uh, he's a golfer and was a promoter rep in canada and stuff like that so we were up there and and he's just kind of got ingrained in the process of setting up golf and so now jamie has the schedule and um and we just we coordinate golf times every day with him through callaway so we'll be traveling anywhere in the world and Callaway has reps in every city right. that we're going and they'll just say, okay, you know, at eight o'clock, there's a tea time at this place. It's this far from the hotel. It has a, it has a fit like criteria. It has to be like 20 minutes from the hotel. Um, and, uh, and that's, and it had, they have to have electric carts. That's really the, the main thing. And it can be a Callaway club and then it'll be like an, it's a nice club. Okay. So, yeah. Now I, I've seen in the past on your, your, I think your, uh, Instagram, uh, he plays a lot with Ryan, Ryan Roxy. Yes. Is anybody yeah, else Ryan. in the band? I mean, is Ryan a pretty? He must be a ringer if he's playing with Alice. Ryan's Ryan's a pretty good player. Um, I haven't played with Ryan in a long time. I used to play with the guys, but um, it, again, it got to a point where I was felt like I was, I was intruding on his personal time. Right. And even though you know, and also I would go on the golf course and I'd end up carrying his clubs too. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, which is not a big deal, but it just got to a point where I was like, I need a little bit of a break, and I know he needs a little bit of a break from me, so sure. it's a way for us to kind of get away. Um, Chuck also plays golf, um, and uh, he doesn't play as consistently with uh, with them. Uh, not not like like uh, swing wise. He's he's a good player, um, but he doesn't play as often. Uh, Ryan is playing with him almost every day, and then Chuck plays every now and then whenever he feels like he's busy. He's got his band and Bisto Blanco stuff yeah. going on, and um, so he kind of focuses on that um, and going to the gym and stuff like that's his thing. When he'll play golf when he wants to relax, uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a, a picture golfer. of Chuck on the golf course, or at least in the golf it, uh, attire. It, the, he looks good, man. He he's got his hair pulled back, and he's got his hat. Everybody wears the the, the garb. Ryan, you know, Ryan's always in a visor. Always in, in, in some sort of visor. That's his that's his thing. But everybody who plays, you know, looks the part whenever they're out there. Um, Damon Johnson used to play golf um, when he was in the band, and um, that's one of the one of the big perks for uh, if you're if you're a musician and you're a golfer. Being in Alice's band is a huge deal because yeah. you get to do both. It's pretty cool. Well, it's funny. I, I you know I I was I know you guys passed through uh, South Carolina recently and I, I was obsessed yeah. with talking with one of you guys and I couldn't figure out what started my obsession and it turned out to be the hired guns doc. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, cause I just saw it again recently. So I was like, Oh, that's where I got, you know, everybody's, you know, all the band members names, yada, yada, yada. But, yeah. um, 
that's Jason Hook, um, the guy that I started with. Yes. He's the one who put together that movie, that film. But is your, um, is your current band, the current band's been intact now for how long? For a good while. Yeah. It might be the longest running core band in a while. Chuck has been in the band longer than anybody besides Alice, including the original guys. He's been, he's been playing with Alice consistently for the longest of anybody, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know exactly what that year number is, but it, he is, he definitely has the most tenure. Um, Ryan has been there probably the same amount of time, but over a longer, like he's had breaks. Uh-huh. He went, he was, and went away and came back. But yeah, this band has been around, um, intact like this for a while, six, five, six years. I right. Think. Nita, Nita's been in the band. Um, oh man, I think five, I think it's five years now. Okay. And are you guys yeah. consistently, when's the last time you took any large amount of time off of touring? Well, um, I mean, we, we had like a, a pretty decent break. Uh, this year, we um, or over the holidays, like I think it was December eighth or something like that when we left, and we didn't pick back up and start touring again until like February. Um, right. So, but there's like but there's bands out there. There's bands out there that are taking an entire year, year off. off. Have you guys done yeah. that since you started? Alice has not taken a year off. I don't believe. Um. If you watch the um, the, the documentary uh, Super Duper Alice Cooper, talks about how he he went through a period. Um, it's basically that's his career and early life in his career up to 1986, which is when he came back sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, there was only one year. I think he did a tour. I can't remember what band it was, but um, he did a tour with a band that just rubbed him the wrong way. Like the there was so much. Uh, not his band, but the other the other band it was a co-headline kind of situation, and there was so much negativity that he took a year off. But that's it; he's not taken a year off since then. Basically, he's been touring every year for the most part since 1986. Without like somewhere in the world, he's doing right. a good amount of dates. That's crazy, which is crazy to think about because that's I think that's one of the reasons why people go, "Oh yeah, Alice Cooper is you know he's just he's so available, he's so out there." Um, that you kind of, it's not news when that he's touring, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's so consistent. It's, it's ridiculous. That is, that's, that's crazy to, to realize. Um, so going, going back a little bit to your, you studied business management at, uh, I did Berkeley. Now, I did. How does that, does that still come into play today or what you're doing, you know, now? Yes, it does. Um, although, the stuff that I was, the stuff that I was learning, it was less, it was right around 2000 was when I went there. Um, and so right around that period, you know, record labels and, and folks were trying to figure out how to monetize digital music. They hadn't quite figured that out yet. And, um, so a lot of, I remember Bob Ezrin came and spoke at the school um, we had all kinds of different people coming in and it wasn't really, uh, they were coming doing, they were, they would come and do these talks, but it was less a talk and more of a brainstorming session. They were asking us like brainstorming how, what can we do to make this, how can we, how can we turn this into an income stream so that we can continue to be a business? Right. Um, because at that point, like there wasn't anything set up and now they recently just passed that, um, 
that law. Um, I can't think of what it's called now. Um, but now it's going to help artists get paid um, on streaming and all, all these digital digital marketplaces. Though they're they're going to really um, it's going to be a game changer for a lot of artists. Um, and so they're still trying to figure it out and still trying to get still trying to work out all the uh, all the kinks in that whole process. But so there was there were some business things that I learned that apply, and some of it was was stuff that was part of the old guard that doesn't really make sense anymore. Right. Like you know a lot of a lot of the record deals are now 360 deals, which is like a record label creates a deal that is all encompassing. They do your merch, they do all the stuff, they do everything for you. Um, and they take a piece of everything. Right. Whereas in the old days, um, you know, your record label wouldn't get involved in your touring. They wouldn't get involved in your merchandise. They were only concerned with your music that you were releasing and that income and taking a piece of that. Um, and it was up to you to have your other business was separate. But now the labels are really kind of that's a way for them to continue to, to stay afloat by taking a piece of all the little parts. Right. What's the benefit? Yeah. Let me ask you about that. What's the benefit of the artist with a 360 deal? Because it seems like their merch and everything outside the record, you know, selling records as we used to do is, right. is money right to the artist's pocket. Whereas why would they want to share yeah. that? What's the incentive to share that with a, with a 360 the, deal? It, the only reason I would sign a 360 deal if I were an artist is if the label was big enough to be able to generate more sales than if I were on my own. Right. You know, so like it has to be worth trading a 20% cut of your, your merch sales. Like, um, like right now, this is a good example. So, um, for a long time, Alice's VIP package was done by a, a separate company and you'd buy a ticket and then you can buy the package separately, but you didn't have to buy the ticket with your pack. You couldn't buy the ticket with the package. So it was like an add on. Um, and we did it like that because we didn't want to share the revenue and, um, and we could kind of control the process a little bit. Um, if you go through Ticketmaster or something like that, then you have to share 20% of there's like, a, I don't know what it is at the number, but, um, I think it's like 13 or 20 or something like that. Um, and, uh, so you have to share your revenue from the, the, the package. Um, now the benefit to using them though is that if you do it it's available immediately when people are buying their tickets it's a ticket option on thing and so since we've we used to do it on our own and we would sell maybe 15 to 20 out of the 30 slots consistently and now that we sell it through, we just you know 2 years ago we started doing it through ticketmaster it's part of a ticket package and even though we have to share that revenue a little bit right it's worth it because now we're selling out every single time. Right. So it makes sense to, you know, it's, it's not that much of a chunk when you're, you're selling more that it makes more sense. So if you're looking at a 360 deal, it has to be worth it. So if you're talking about an independent label that doesn't have a lot of resources, uh, you know, then they're really, uh, if they're not going to be able to do much for you other than release your music, right. Which you can do yourself. Um, if you have the time and, and the, and the, and the money to, Really, it's just about having the money to, 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 to press your own stuff, having that seed money. Um, and, and record labels will do that for you. But if they're not bringing anything else to the table, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Sure. You know, <clears throat> for a small band. Because those, those merch sales and that's, that's your gas money to get to the next gig. And if you've got to kick 20% of that over to the label for doing nothing, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, not that they do nothing. I'm not against labels or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's tricky. What's, what's Alice's, uh, is, is he on a label or has he got a, uh, an imprint on a label or how does he, he, he doesn't have an imprint. Um, he is on, uh, ear, ear music is his record label. He was with Universal for a while. He bounces around. Sony, I think, released um, Welcome to My Nightmare in uh, Australia. And then Universal released it in the rest of the world. Um, and uh, he bounces around, though. Like, his label situation is per album. So they do a... Uh, uh, he'll he'll be creating an album, and he'll shop it around, to, even to the label that released the last album. So he'll say, okay, we're, we're going to... Or Shep. His manager will say, "Okay, we're going to do a new album, and this is this is what it's going to be about." And they talk; they have a conversation, a new conversation per album. So he's not on any sort of contract; he's not under any obligation to be with anybody because he's had such a long career that he's a he has the benefit of being able to, to do that. Right. Um, and so, a record label for Alice is different than it would be for a a, a young a young band. Uh, you know, we have access to the labels, PR people, and they coordinate with Toby, like I was telling you who then coordinates with me on scheduling and stuff. But they have things like um, to sell the album. We're also trying to sell the tour. We're also trying to sell um, anything else that he's got going on. So, you know, the Hollywood Vampires is another is another set of interviews. The, um, oh, my God, the Jesus Christ Superstar thing. Right. More interviews. Um, all that stuff's coordinated with the label. Uh, whoever he's on, there's, um, there's a PR department that, that we get access to for that. You know, so there's benefits to being on there, um, but he's kind of, kind of a free agent, sort of. Right. Not really, but that's the way I kind of look at him because he can easily jump over to another label if you know. It's no hard feelings, I don't think. You know, he might, he might go back to Universal for for an album here and there. Kind of all depends on what the situation is. Okay. Um, what yeah. What about in terms of touring? Like, if you've been you've been with him ten, eleven years, you've probably seen yeah. nine or ten tours. Have they fluctuated in terms of like? You know, what kind of venues you're booking in terms of size? Like, how do you guys determine, you know, how big or how, you know, how big you're going to go? Right. It all depends on the the newness of the show. So if we're doing a new show uh, and we're on our own and not, we don't, not doing a co-headline tour or opening, like we did Motley Crue for two years and we didn't change the show. We didn't do a big show and that was all arenas, but we weren't really responsible for anything other than showing up. But if we're doing our own show, if it's a new show, we'll go in and we might do a package tour where we're doing an arena tour or maybe some um, some amphitheaters, that kind of a thing, sheds. And then they'll, pieces, they'll slowly drop us down into theater levels. And we might do both. Like a lot of times Alice's tour is kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes we'll be in these big amphitheaters and then like the next night we'll be in Milwaukee doing a weird a small theater. Maybe we'll do two nights in a small theater. Um, because Alice does like those theaters. Um, and it, it, so it's, it's kind of inconsistent and it also depends on where we're playing. If we're in, if we're in South America, we're playing huge venues and in, in Europe, we're playing pretty large venues or festivals and that kind of a thing. Um, the great thing about Alice's show is that it is a very adaptable and we build it like that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got a production team that's putting that together. Um, everything that we have can be scaled up or down because the stage props are all finite in size right. those don't change but we can add lights we can add pieces to the set to make it bigger um you know or we can take pieces away to make it smaller 
um, and and that's the beauty is of in his show is it's always built to be very flexible, so we can kind of adapt. Um, and a lot of times it's a pretty pretty quick adaptation. We might go to Europe and do small venues or big venues, and be in the states and doing bigger small venues, kind of vice versa. Or we'll be on a tour with Motley Crew, and they'll take a day off, and we'll go do a show somewhere, and it'll be a theater, right? You know, because we're already doing big venues with the other band with that other tour. Um, you know we're not going to be worth uh, to a promoter. We wouldn't be worth necessarily risking uh, in a, in a, in a large arena. Um, and also that might be, you can run into qu- uh, tricky things where, uh, another promoter for that, the package tour might say, Hey, that's going to compete. Right. But if you're playing a theater, it's not a competition really. It's not, it's not, even though it's, you know, if it's too close, it may not be an issue. Okay. Um, if you're in a different size venue, but it's all prom- promoters and booking agents and stuff. I don't, I'm not really involved in any of that stuff. Um, but I do. I am involved in the sense that I do promote the stuff on his website, and, and I'm involved in like the ticket announcements and that kind of a thing. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that's that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, that's part of what this show wants to get it get at is there's so many moving parts that people kind of kind of yeah. don't consider. Um, yeah, well, so it's always interesting to hear. Well, the interesting thing when I was when I was a kid and I was trying, I told my mom I wanted to get into music. She was like, "Whoa, you want to be a musician?" And I go, "Well, I mean, not really, not necessarily a musician. I want to be in music. I want to have a, make a living with music." And you know, it scared her to death. And and we were in the grocery store. I remember we were in the grocery store. And I go, "Mom, listen, listen right now. Just open your ears. And what do you hear? There's music playing. Somebody somewhere." is in charge of putting that music into this grocery store. There's somebody somewhere that's producing that music. Um, somebody's, you know, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, not even just between the, the touring world, but just the business in general. There's so much stuff. There's so the, the scope of music is like one of the widest spread industries. I think, you know, there's, there's a music person in almost at every company, right? <laughs> somebody that is doing some sort of, media thing commercials if you're working for uh you know ibm or apple or something like that there's a head of you know not apple's a bad example because they have a freaking music thing but um you know there's somebody who's picking the music for their commercials there's it's just everywhere you know there's always something to be done and that's what really opened her mind she goes oh right you're right it is it's sort of a huge thing you know and if you don't pigeonhole yourself into wanting having to do one thing there's a lot of opportunity yeah that's interesting i'll uh, i'm going to come back to that but before i do um sure. you did mention uh recently there was jesus christ superstar um yes. i know you guys done have done a, a ton of really fun cool stuff there was kimmel halloween show what, yeah. what's been you know you've been doing it for 10 11 years what would have been highlights for you oh man um i'm you mentioned the Kimmel thing. Um, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. Um, and so we had done the Kimmel Halloween show the prior year. Was the last year we did we did Kimmel on Halloween, and it was with the Foo Fighters. Um, uh, Jimmy was out um, with some family stuff, and so he had they got Dave Grohl to be the head, to be the uh, host. And so um, the joke was that he was going to just be the host and Alice would come and perform and, and our band was off of tour and some of our guys weren't available. And so we were not going to be able to do it even though we had done it the year prior and then they wanted us to do it again. Um, and so that was like, well, we're not gonna be able to do it because we don't have a band. And Dave's like, uh, I have a band. 
<laughs> I know some guys. And, and of course, I'm in, in, in the middle of like all this stuff coming together, and I'm having a meltdown because I am a huge Foo Fighters fan. I'm actually seeing them tomorrow night. I'm taking my son, Archer, to go see the Foo Fighters for the first time. He's never seen them. I've seen them a bunch of times. Um, but uh, I'm super excited about that. Anyway, so that was really cool, partly because I got to see him perform with them. And just being around the rehearsals, I got some great photographs of that and just something new to be involved in. Um, but also we, we cut Alice's head off and I produced Dave Grohl's head out of the guillotine. <laughs> the great thing is, so Dave's, Dave Grohl was dressed as David Letterman right, for the whole thing. So his whole deal, he didn't look anything like him. He was with, he had like the gray hair and the beard and everything. And he looked just like him. <laughs> so he's up there rocking out as the Foo Fighters, but it's Dave, David Letterman. Um, anyway, so I pull Dave Grohl's head out of this guillotine and I'm in my whole thing and I'm on TV and, and like, I, you know, I bring it over and he kisses it. It was just like the coolest thing to be on stage with those guys. I was like, I cannot believe that this is happening. Um, so that was a pinch me moment. Um, I got to sit in the studio for about six hours while Paul McCartney recorded for Alice's, oh um, the, the vampires album. Um, and just watch him do that and took some pictures of that process, um, which was just incredible. I'm a huge Paul McCartney fan. Um, and that was a, a huge, what the hell am I doing here moment? I don't deserve to be here. Um, I, I, seeing Alice inducted into the hall of fame is definitely a highlight. Um, and seeing those guys, the original band come back together and being a part of pretty much all of those reunions that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, being a piece of that is really, really cool. Um, you know, seeing, seeing the world is obviously a, a, a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's, it's definitely been a wild ride. I mean, I could go down the line of, of there's so many stories and so many great things that have happened that I've been, just been so lucky to be around. Sure. Um, it's been very cool. And Alice is especially, uh, you know, I, I have the most intimate access to, to him than more than anybody else I've obviously worked for just because of the time I've been with him. Um, and the cool factor about that is because I have that intimate access with him and that trust, it transitions over with other artists, even when he's not around. Um, people just know me. I'm, I'm Alice's guy right. and they know that I'm not a, a weirdo or whatever. And so like, but asking a lot of times I'll go to, we go into a show and I'll just get a photo pass or an all access pass in my stuff and to allow me to go and just be creative Whereas most other photographers are having to sign a release form and do all this rigmarole. It's not really, I don't really have to, I operate outside of that just because of that access that I have with Alice, which is just weird. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That, that leads me to my last question before we get into uh, the final five questions is what, what's next for you? Like let's, oh. let's say Alice decides to hang it up. Would you, do you, are you going to parlay those relationships and keep doing what you're doing with somebody else? Or how, how do you, how do you see your future? Man, I, I, I look at it, I think about this all the time because I, with, with two small kids um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always looking at how am I going to, how am I going to create um, an income for myself once this income disappears, this steady income, because I have a salary and I have insurance. It's not normal in this business to have that. So when Alice, when this, when this job goes away, that's going to go away and that stability will go away. So I've had to really shore up a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I was going insane in 2016 because I was scared, you know, um, and uh, was, I was barbecuing so much of my personal time and I didn't have any, there's no safety net there. 
anything could happen, and I just would be out, out of luck. Um, and so I bought a house in Nashville. It's a quadplex. I Airbnb it. Um, I have two Airbnbs in it, and then I have um, a third that's Airbnb whenever I travel, and then a regular renter. Um, so the house is now fortified, and it pays for itself. And so now that's taken care of. Now my, my mortgage is, is done. And so now if Alice decided to fire me or whatever, or he stopped touring and, I, and my income went away, it's now, I'm now set up to where I can go and work at a coffee shop and do and, and, and be able to be creative. So for me, I've always toured kind of out of necessity right. for income. Um, and I don't want to tour out of necessity. I would like to be able to tour um, and, and pick and choose what I do and, be, and, and do things creatively for me. So I really want to aim for, for photography. That's really where my goal is, is to kind of get into that and do that full time and be um, a creative in that world. Right. And I, I, I'm, I can't say that I wouldn't necessarily consider another position if, the, if it was offered to me to do something similar. But I certainly would think twice about it because I, I especially if it was a young artist, I yeah. would think twice about it because I don't want to necessarily go down this rabbit hole. I know a lot of people in the business who are like 65 and they're divorced and they don't have, they have kids that they don't really know. And, um, and it's not always like that, but it's a, you know, it can, it, it can lead you down this really sad yeah. <laughs> life. I just don't want to be that way. I, I want to be able to you know, transition out of this and have an, and then have a life because at, at this point with Alice, it's a, I'm, a lot of my life is given to, to his career. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with the final five. These are the five questions. Okay, I'm ready. Same questions. Hit everybody me. gets uh, first question is, uh, what's your most treasured musical material possession? Oh man. So, um, when I was a, back when I was a bass player, um, I was looking for this amplifier. It's a Ampeg B15 flip top bass amp. So if you're, uh, if you're a Motown fan, it's the sound of Motown, that bass sound, that bass tone, um, James Jamerson, it's that sound. So I wanted one of these bass amps cause I, I it just, I needed one. I don't know. Um, and so I'm looking around and locally in LA, I was living in LA at the time looking around, can't find one that's in good condition. I'm looking on eBay and I find a few that are like within my price range, but then there's one that is like obscenely overpriced. I'm like, why is this overpriced? So I look at it and, um, and I had to call to confirm this, but the Motown studios in, um, LA, I think we were in LA, but they were selling it, um, out of their studio. So basically it's, it's an amp that it's a 1962 Ampeg bass amp. And it had been in their Detroit studios since it was new. And when they moved their studios, it got put into storage and stayed in storage. Um, and so they're clearing out their storage and they're selling a whole bunch of stuff. And this amp is one of them. And it was one of like four that they had in the studio. And it would have been used that whole, that whole time right. period. And so I call the studio to make sure that this is legit because I, now I need this thing <laughs> and I'm talking to the guy and he goes, yeah, man, this thing has been sitting in the storage and I go, do you know what songs it was used on? And he goes, I, I, I have no idea, but you know, that, that band, if you know anything about Motown, um, there was the same guys, James Jamerson, like, you know, everybody was in and out of those studios, but that was the amp that you were using in that studio for 
one of those one of those several like tracking rooms um so pick any four motown songs and it could have been used on any any of them right that's great um from that time period uh michael jackson or i mean like anything <laughs> so this bass could have this bass amp was used for sure by all those guys at least on some of those tracks and i was like okay well i have to have it so that is the coolest piece of um uh musical gear or Mater- material possession as it was said <laughs> yeah material possession if i had to grab one material possession out of my house if my house was on fire and all my 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 living things in my house were auto saved i would be wheeling this amp out <laughs> I, I i'm going to rephrase that question next time as your house is on fire which which musical possession do you need to take out with you I ask people questions like that. I like to ask people random, like, um, uh, what if questions. And that's one of my questions is if your house is on fire and everybody that you love is auto saved, what's the one great, what's the one thing that you grab on the way out? <laughs> I like to see what people answer. I like it. You know, um, yeah. question number two, this will find out where your, your heart is at. Um, hypothetically, okay. if Rockonomics cut you a check for a million dollars to give to a charity, one charity who would get it? Oh, that's a good, quite good question. I mean, Alice has a charity, a solid rock, um, which, I mean, hey, I have to give it to one charity. Yeah. Oh man, that's the so-called catch. Oh man, that's tough, man. One charity. I think I, you know, and I don't. I. That's the Boys and Girls Club. I, I think really, you know, looking after kids that. That don't have um, that don't have a steady family life mm-hmm. is is important. Solid Rock is doing some of that work as well. I think I would want to give it to someone who can uh, give it to an organization that has a wide reach. Sure, sure. Yeah, that can spread it out rather than just giving it to like one one thing. I mean, you can do a lot with one organization with a million dollars. I mean, that's be a, a game changer. Um, but if you give it a, give a million dollars to an organization that has that is doing work over a, wa- a wide area, yeah, I would probably do that. Man, million dollars for the Red Cross would be huge. Yeah, that would that would go a long way. You know, getting clean water to people in in, in parts of the world that don't have clean water. I I, I can't. I don't even know. like like, <laughs> like Flint, so Michigan. Oh man, yeah. A million dollars, how many bottles of water would that buy since the government's not giving them bottled water anymore? Yeah. That's messed up. Um, on a lighter note, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Oh, man. Um, there's a song that I like to listen to um, whenever I'm leaving home and I'm coming home. On, and it's called Home. It's by the Foo Fighters. I'm not like a fanatic or anything like that, but just happens to be by them. Um, great song. And I would probably listen. I would probably have that. It's a beautiful song. Um, piano, vocal, and it just it it gets me every time I'm leaving for a tour. I put that on and I'm going to cry. And I put it on whenever I'm landing. I'm going to cry. And I think that would be the perfect walk on music if I'm heading up to the pearly gates on an escalator, <laughs> a golden escalator. Yeah. <laughs> like mall, mall music <laughs> on the way up. <laughs> okay, if things don't go as planned, what's stuck on repeat in hell? Oh my god, stuck on repeat in hell. Why is it? Can I can I soften the blow? Is it is it this is worst case scenario? What's stuck on repeat? Yeah. 
Or can I can I go? Okay, if I have to be stuck with something, it, ha- it can be this. No, it's what would make hell really hell. Oh my god! For you, uh, Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's been. Oh, used. I don't right. think it's been used before. That's very funny. If you're a Yankee the, fan, I don't know if you uh, you know if if you grew up going to Yankee games, they play that. Uh, they play that. Oh, every this, game. is this one of those baseball game? <laughs> it's sports games. Songs. It's just the worst piece of crap. <laughs> I think that would drive me crazy. I can listen to almost anything, but that song is just god awful. On repeat, that'd yeah. be tough for sure. Um, yeah. Last question, which I'm curious because I know you have a unique entry to see a lot of different things. But best live music, best concert you've witnessed? Um, maybe it's not a concert. Maybe it's a performance or a you know a tuning, but. Again, you've been privy to yeah. a lot of stuff. Oh man, I've I've seen some really cool stuff. Um, I saw God, I saw Metallica one time at um, <laughs> in uh, they would play they played Lollapalooza. My dad took me and my brother, um, and I cannot remember Soundgarden was there. It was like there was the the bill. I, I'd have to look up what the bill was, but it was incredible. Um, and I was there to see Metallica because I was a huge fan at the time when I was a kid. And um, I'm up against a barricade, and I, I was a kid, and I, I like lost all feeling in my legs. I was pushed against the barricade, and I passed out. And they took me away from the front of the stage. For as Metallica's coming on stage, they they peeled me over the barricade and took me off to the back of the festival where the emergency tent was. And I was like, no, my brother came with me, and and I don't know where my dad was. I think my dad was like having a beer somewhere. Think about that. My dad's like gone. <laughs> he doesn't even have any idea where we are. And there's 50,000 people there. He's like, maybe back at the car. I don't even know. <laughs> how insane is that? Anyway, so um, I was so bummed about that because I was going to miss the show, but I didn't actually miss it because they put me in the tent and they wheeled me up to the side and they put me on this, like, this, this, not a gurney, but like, you know, I was like in a lounge chair basically. And I got to watch from the backside, which was a great view. I could actually see the whole stage and I'd seen them before, but. Um, that that was pretty cool because I thought I was going to totally miss it. So that was like a really exciting experience. Um, probably the best performance in Paul McCartney. It's hard to top. Yeah, I can imagine. He's hard to top in a uh, in a concert setting. I saw him in Nashville. He was really amazing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, wh- one quick frivolous question. It's just something sure. I noticed that you know when you're when you've got the Hollywood vampires, you've got um, Johnny Depp, you've got Joe Perry, you know two legendary guys too is that the only time you're dealing they must have personal assistants too correct yes so those guys um joe has an assistant that has been with him for a million years um and he his wife is on the road as well billy and then johnny has uh an assistant and he has a security team um that that's more like a logistics team we'll say than, than security he doesn't really have goons that like protect him and they do but they're just looking out for him but you know he can go and sign autographs and they they're very free with him but um uh, they have their own guys uh, but we all intermingle um we're on a plane together going to russia this um this whole next tour um i'm looking at a map right now we're flying from um from north uh sorry not north carolina we're flying from new york to moscow it's about a 10-hour flight in this little tiny plane the last time we were in europe we were on a plane and we we're playing poker and you know, just everybody's hanging together, um, which is pretty cool. 
um, considering who those guys are and how everybody's just so mellow and, and, sure. and down to earth. It's a really great band. And it's cool to see those guys operate in that way and not be jerks. <laughs> so many people are jerks. And the, it seems like the people who have earned the right to be a jerk are not jerks. Right. And Sometimes. Well, well said. Yeah. Well, Kyler, I appreciate you taking the time with me. I'm, I'm yeah, lucky, lucky I finally nailed you down, but I know why you're so busy. That's why I, I was... Every time we had to reschedule, I, I was like, dude, I know I've, I've heard your podcast. I've seen your schedule. So I appreciate it. Man, it's just, it's been one of those ridiculous things. Like I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And it, it seems like every time something, uh, whenever I'm home, I'm taking care of so many different things. Like today I'm painting my deck yesterday. I, I tore it down and rebuilt it. So <laughs> today I have to paint it. And then tomorrow I'm going to the Foo Fighters and I've got to wrap up a few other things. Saturday is my last day. Sunday I leave. So Saturday I, I'm, I'm cleaning my house. So I'm like down to the wire with all the little things that I have to do. I also have to go and pick up this belt that I'm getting done um, made for Alice. It's just pretty cool. It's a new stage belt. I saw that. Um, I so saw that pick... on your uh, Instagram, oh, your mention of it. Man, you cannot uh, – the guy that's making this thing is so talented. He's a local dude here, and uh, I can't wait to go see it. He's he's probably going to be finished with it either today or tomorrow, so I cannot wait to put that uh, – show the, the final belt. It's like the detail on it is so great. Alice is going to love it. Very cool. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Yeah, me too. All right, buddy. Uh, good luck on tour. And uh, hopefully Thank I'll you. see you when you come back to North America in the fall. But we'll see you there, man. Definitely come out to the show for sure. All right. Thank you. All right. A huge thanks to Kyler Clark. That was technically a phone interview, a phoner, as they say. But Kyler was able to record his end of the conversation and get it to me so the sound quality was light years better than your typical phoner so big thanks to kyler for uh putting in the effort for uh, providing that uh do yourself a favor and follow kyler on instagram at serial kyler and you'll be privy to great concert backstage and behind the scenes photography of all things alice cooper the hollywood vampires and much more um that's actually serial kyler the play on serial killer but it's serial as in the breakfast cereal so c-e-r-e-a-l and kyler is k-y-l-e-r you can also follow us on instagram but better yet subscribe and rate us on itunes get a little bit more mileage out of that we'll be back next week with an all-new episode so we hope to see you and every last one of your friends join us then episode 24 is no more good night cleveland